1: Opening our Bibles tonight to the book of Acts, beloved saints, I'm going to speak to you about three attributes of revival tonight. How many of you are looking for revival in your life? We're looking for revival in the church. We're looking for revival in our lives. I'm going to start tonight um, just very quickly with these three attributes of revival. And tonight we will be comparing these three attributes of revival in the book of Acts, beginning in Acts chapter 1. But we will be comparing these three attributes of revival with the Azusa Street Revival. You know, when I speak about Azusa, I never had so much reverence, never, until recently for the revival, the Azusa Street Revival. Most of us just only equate the Azusa Street Revival with people coming to the altar, shaking and quaking and speaking in tongues. But if we really want to know what happened at the Azusa Revival, let me just tell you, there's documentation available for us, which is amazing, because God raised up a man by the name of Doctor Vincent Sinan. Doctor Vincent Sinan was in modern times what Eusebius was in the times of the early church. For those of you who have never heard of Eusebius, Eusebius was the early church historian who recorded the all of the history of the early church, particularly the martyrdoms. In the years, uh, right in the beginning ages of the apostles, since the time that the book of Acts was written, all the way to 325 A.D., he collected his material, and he, he collected his material from outstanding sources, from the most... Um, the absolute accurate sources from, from the apostles themselves, and then from those who were disciples of the apostles, and then also from the early church apologists that were very important to our Christian faith, and documented one of the first revivals in the church, which I say so respectfully and so reverently, was the early church movement of martyrs. And he documented the whole thing. Well, in modern times, and you can get it, get his documents if you really want to study church history. Eusebius Ecclesiastical History. Incredible. All right, we studied that in seminary. I had to study that at MST. I had to do all that research in MST, and now I'm giving it to you. That was many, many moons ago. Now, this, this y- in modern times, we also had a historian. His name was Dr. Vincent Sinan, and actually Dr. Vincent Sinan was on the um, the Board of Regents. He actually was the Dean of Regent University for Pat Robertson for many years and also was a very distinguished faculty member at ORU for many, many years, and we had the privilege of meeting Dr. Vincent Sinan, and he came to our ministry many times when we were beginning our work integrating the body of Christ, bringing the denominations together, and hosting our international conferences of Christian unity across America, and that actually got aired around the world on Trinity Broadcasting. It was an amazing move of God. Praise God. We're just just, uh, amazing. And the reason I'm sharing this is because Dr. Vincent Sinan actually did research with Dr. Ralph Wilkerson on testimonies of those who actually lived in the time of the Azusa Revival. In the 1970s, they began this. So they still had individuals who had been in the Azusa revival and they documented their testimonies. Incredible, isn't it? Dr. Vincent Sinan wrote the book, The Century of the Holy Spirit. And that's actually what happened as a result of Azusa. Azusa did not just affect a generation, Azusa affected the century on the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. And so tonight I'm using Azusa, not for some um, emotional, um, it's just a, actual experience or something that we've already concocted in our minds that we think Azusa was. Because tonight I'm going to show you that Azusa, first of all, the power behind Azusa was that was inter, it was interdenominational and it was the first move in the church of unity, cultural unity at a time when it was not when there was no cultural unity uh, in America. I hope somebody understands what I'm talking about. And that's why the Holy Ghost moved the way he did, because he is the spirit of unity and oneness. And every time the work of God has gone sour, every time there's been an interruption to the move of God, men have become segregationalists within their own denomination or their own little world, and they have stopped the movement of the Holy Spirit spirit. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Amen. All right. So we need to open our hearts to one another and be open to the spirit of God. The first supernatural secret tonight that I'm going to share with you, and it's not so secret, but I call them secrets because whenever we read revelations from God's word, they are secrets. The first attribute of revival that we are going to look at tonight is found in the book of Acts in the first chapter. And we are going to see this attribute in Acts chapter one, and we are going to see it in verses four through nine. This is the attribute of absence. The attribute of absence is what God needs for revival. Now, this attribute of absence, I want to explain it to you. Absence is a condition or a state when something is expected or something is wanted and it's not present. Have you ever wanted something or some uh, to visit someone or missed someone in your life, like an, an auntie or an uncle, and you don't see them anymore? Their absence is felt, isn't it? Well, the Bible is going to precede the day of Pentecost with the attribute of absence. And I want you to understand that Pentecost began a revival. It was actually the day of Pentecost wasn't a movement. It was a revival. And we're going to see that the actual book of Acts is a pattern of power for revival in our own life. So you say, what is the attribute of absence? The attribute of absence is a sense of separation. It is when... Conditions that are around us make a sense or cause an absence. Uh, One of the conditions of absence is longing. Have you ever missed somebody and started to long for them? Have you ever missed a child or missed an auntie, missed an uncle, but especially missed the Holy Ghost? And I want you to understand that this attribute of absence is absolutely an essential element for revival. And we are going to see how the Bible actually precipitates the power of God poured out on Pentecost through this attribute of absence. Let's look at the word. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, that they should not depart. But wait for the promise of the Father, saith he, that you have heard of me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now, Jesus is saying to wait. And as we know that they took, that Jesus led them out as far as the Mount of Olives, And the Bible says, verse nine, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they looking steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, turn to your neighbor and say, as he went up. As he went up, beheld two men that stood by in white apparel, saying, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing uh, up into heaven? This same Jesus that was taken up from you into heaven shall in like manner return, uh, uh, and you shall see him uh, go, as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here. Here. I want you to understand that the 120 are very grieved. I want you to understand that these 120 for Uh, actually, most of them actually saw the crucifixion. Many of them, if they did not see the crucifixion, because the Bible tells us that especially the women that came up from Galilee with Jesus stood afar off and beheld him as he was being crucified on the cross. The Bible tells us a great company came. When the Bible says a great company, that's a lot of people. How many of you understand that? They stood and they beheld as he was being crucified and they beheld Afar far off. These disciples uh, watched him be crucified. These disciples for three days missed him and thought they would never see him again. The Bible tells us they did not understand the resurrection. And even after Jesus appeared to them, their hearts were still hardened, the Bible tells us, in the gospel according to John. So we need to understand, and especially in the gospel, according to Mark in the 16th chapter, they still didn't fully comprehend the resurrection. Can you imagine the Lord being taken away from you after you have been with him for three years, after you touched his hands, after you sat with him, after you ate with him, after you heard his holy voice, after you were so accustomed to his smile, after you were accustomed to his mighty power? after you were accustomed to the presence that walked into the room, that came into the room, that ushered him in any place that he went. And then to have him suddenly taken by death would have been the utmost tragedy that any disciple would have experienced. I know because let me tell you, uh, I know how we felt in, in the days when those that we love have been taken away from ministry. For example, when Catherine Kuhlman Past when she went to heaven, it took the body of Christ about 25 years, about 25 years to actually get over the missing of Catherine Coleman. She was so loved by everyone. Even after 25 years, now it's a memory. You can't imagine it. But if it took 25 years for the body of Christ and some are still not over it, doesn't mean they're in grief. But it means there's something about the anointing you miss. There's something about God's presence that you miss. There's something about what you experienced when that one was alive and when that one was taken away. And there is no one to replace that one. It is a very grievous experience. Do you understand this? And so I can just imagine If that's how we felt about Catherine Coleman, how did the disciples feel when Jesus was taken away from them? And then he comes back. He is risen from the dead. He reveals himself to them. And then after 40 days, he's taken away again. Only this time, they will not feel his presence. Only this time, they will not hear his voice. Only this time, they will not touch anything. It will be dead silence for 10 days. Because they will not experience the power of the uh, uh, presence of Jesus again until the coming of the Holy Ghost. Do you understand this? And the question arises, why didn't the Lord on the day that he was taken up, that very night, send the Holy Ghost? Why didn't he send the Holy Ghost at the beginning? Because for a legitimate revival to begin, there must be the attribute of absence you must be able to feel the attribute of absence because absence produces anguish God wants to get the church into a place of anguish to a place of agonizing for the presence of God are you with me if you are say amen Amen. say this with me Holy Ghost before Pentecost I give you permission to deal with me. I give you permission to bring upon me attributes of anguish so that I will be able to pray like never before. Let me be in anguish over the loss of the presence of God in this generation. Let me be in anguish over the loss of what happened with the gifts of the Spirit in the book of Acts that are not happening now. Let me be in anguish over any missing power of the Holy Ghost. Let there be a Holy Ghost anguish. Amen. David Wilkerson, that great man of God. We know David Wilkerson, the founder of Teen Challenge, but much more, a prophet. My sister and I were very, when uh, David Wilkerson was alive, we were at Melody Land when he brought the vision that vision that was given in 1972 that is now coming to pass. And David Wilkerson, the man of God who was also known as one of the prophets of end times, who's now in glory, said, anguish and deep prayer are the life, um, anguish and a deep prayer life. Are how revival is born. Say this with me. Holy Ghost, tonight I ask you, take me back to the days when you first touched me. Take me back to the memories of when your spirit began to deal with me. Take me back to the experiences that I had when I first encountered you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, stir up the gift of God again by way of remembrance. Come on, stir up the gift of God. Ask him right now. Stir up the gift of God by way of remembrance through the putting on of my hands, Paul said. Hallelujah. Praying Hyde, one of the most incredible missionaries, who was a missionary also of prayer. Praying Hyde, who was a missionary in the early 1900s in India, who prayed and groaned with such agony and passion for God to move that literally when they buried praying Hyde, his heart had moved from one part of his body to the other. Are you with me, saints? If you are, say amen. Actually, if you read the account of praying Hyde's life, the one of the accounts tells us that in uh, he died in 1912, but in the late 1860s uh, the, the uh, account tells us that there were days that he never went to sleep, that many of his much of his life was spent, in, in India without sleep. He fasted often because at night he spent countless hours with his face down and his face toward the bare cold floor praying for the loss of India. And his prayer actually was, Lord, give me souls in India or else I die. You see, God wants to get us to the place of agony and anguish that we are at the point... That that we know we have no life outside of the anointing. We cannot play church anymore. It is time now that we live in the realm of revival because the realm of revival should be the normal everyday activity in the life of the church. Are you with me if you are? Say amen. Hallelujah. This attribute of anguish, beloved saints, is found in the book of Acts as we have just read it for you. I want you to see it as we saw it in Acts chapter one. We saw verse nine. We saw verse 10, but I want to go over verse 10 again with you. Look at the word. The Bible says, while they look steadfastly toward heaven, They went up and behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. This word steadfastly looking into heaven. Why were they watching Jesus go into heaven? Why did they, after he already ascended into the clouds, were they still looking? Why did the angels have to come down and tell them, stop looking? Because they were already longing. They were already missing his presence. They were already agonizing. They were getting ready to pray in. You see, God has to prepare us. We have to be prepared to pray in the revival. But it's not something you can work up. You've got to become the vessel of the Holy Ghost and let heaven begin to deal with you on how he wants to pour revival on the earth. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And so they said, Why do you stand gazing? This word gazing in the Greek language is the word atenzio and this word atenzio actually is a word that means to gaze intently but also to stretch. I want you to know that God is stretching his people. Hallelujah. I want us to see the second attribute of the uh, the second attribute of revival. Put your hands up right now and say Holy Ghost. Bring me the attribute of absence that leads me into anguish, praying for the presence of God to come. Say, I receive it right now. Let me just tell you, William Joseph Seymour was told by God when he was seeking the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And this is what is so wonderful because The actual Azusa Street Revival, they would seek for many days. I remember the Holy Ghost made me seek. Let me just tell you, people were receiving the baptism left and right. After I got saved, I wanted the baptism in the Holy Ghost. How many of you want the baptism in the Holy Ghost? It's a second work of grace. Say it with me. A second work of grace. And... Uh, that that um, in the 1970s, 1971, March of uh, February of 71, I received Jesus. My sister received Jesus, and I think March or April, right after that, my whole family did. It was a big family revival. Hallelujah! Everybody came to the Lord. Somebody ought to shout the victory. And I released that anointing because when there's real revival, the whole family gets saved. I said, when there's real revival, the whole family gets saved. Every single person in our family was touched by God. My one brother went into the ministry. My other brother became a Sunday school teacher. I'm telling you, saints, every single one got touched by the power of God. Hello, somebody. You ought to praise God. Hallelujah, because that's what happens when real authentic revival comes. And I, I, I want you to know that in the, in the days of the Azusa revival, they would pray for hours, and God told William Joseph Seymour, I want you to pray for five hours a day. And when it came close, they had to tarry they were tarrying. And I'm telling you about my experience. Everybody was receiving baptism in the Holy Spirit. Everybody was getting tongues. I did not. You know what that did? That put a fire in me. That put a longing in me. And actually, as a young girl, I didn't know anything about this life like this. I knew nothing we came from a very traditional background, which was very beautiful, but we didn't know about it, okay? It's not, it's not because of anything. It just happened to be that's the way it was, and that's the way it was with all the historic churches. Presbyterians didn't know about it either. Neither did the Episcopalians know. Neither did any of the, of the uh, straight-laced um, churches that got the baptism during the charismatic renewal. And so for me, it took very long to get baptized, but I was so hungry. And I realize now that that was the Holy Ghost putting a hunger in me so that I could seek out the deep things of God. It was an absence. It was a longing. Hello, somebody. Do you understand? Revival cannot come to the life without a seeking and a calling out. Which leads us to the second attribute of revival. And the second attribute of revival is desperate need that must proceed revival. There has to be a desperate need. Are you with me? Somebody ought to say amen. amen. At the Azusa Street Mission, they had a tarrying room upstairs. People would tarry for days. You see, we want everything right now. And that that in is is, in a way it's good for technology and for our lifestyles, but it's not good for the things of the spirit. Because what happens is when we confuse our our lifestyle that wants everything microwave and instant and think that God has to give it instant. We don't understand that the time clock of heaven is not the time clock of earth. And there are some things that have to be worked out in time and in prayer by the Holy Ghost. Amen there are some things that take days and weeks and even months and years for the Holy Ghost to deal with us on, and we have to be willing to allow the Holy Ghost to deal with us. Are you understanding? what happened to the Holy Ghost dealing with the church? We've become we've become a church that we come into the church to get our high and if we don't get our high then we get discouraged and then we go home and then we go a little bit more into the world but let me just tell you about the Holy Ghost I know. I know the Holy Ghost that sanctifies you from the world. I know the Holy Ghost that purifies you from the world. I know the Holy Ghost that can pull you out of the world because Friendship with the world is an enemy of God. I I know I can get a witness anywhere around here tonight. Are you with me? And it's not the works of men. It's the work of the Holy Ghost. That's why we need him to deal with us. That's why we need him. We need time at the altar. That's why we need time of prayer. Somebody ought to hear this. God is getting ready to do a revival in this place. And we're getting ready to experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The second attribute of revival is desperate need that must precede revival. Say it with me. Desperate need that must precede revival. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 18. I will read it for you. It says, we have been with child and we have been in pain. We have been as if it were brought forth the wind. And we have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. Neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. God wants to bring us to a place where there is deliverance in the earth through you. God wants to bring us to a place. Hallelujah. I believe God is starting to shake the foundation. God wants to shake us up by dealing with us in the depths. Put your hand up right now and say, Holy Ghost, tonight. Let there be a desperate need that will proceed the revival that you've ordained for me. Let's go back and watch this in systematic sequence in the book of Acts. Book of Acts chapter 1. Now remember, we saw them go into heaven, and that is the first attribute of revival, that attribute of absence and anguish. And the second attribute of revival, you follow systematically sequenced in the text. Uh, Say this with me, step by step, precept upon precept. Follow the next verse, looking at verse 13. The Bible says, And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where there abode Peter, James, and John, Andrew, and Philip, Thomas, and Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. And they all continued. Say this with me they continued. Say this with me. They didn't go home after a few hours. Say this with me. They pressed on into heaven. Yeah. Say this with me. They let the Holy Ghost work in them. They were willing to help have their hearts poured out at the altar. They were willing to be broken before God. They were allowing the Holy Ghost to work that anguish in them. They were willing to let the Holy Ghost work that power in them. Are you with me? Yeah. Absence had to take full effect because it had to move into anguish. And then the anguish had to move into desperate need. See, the Holy Ghost doesn't show up just because you come to church. Much of what we call the Holy Ghost is not the Holy Ghost. It's entertainment. It's not the Holy Ghost, but we're excited. We like it, but it's not the anointing. Nothing wrong with it. It's good and healthy, but we're confused because we have not seen the authentic yet. We've not allowed the Spirit of God to deal with us pour it out at the altar, pour it out in our hearts. And so we see, continuing in the context, they all continued in one accord with prayer and supplication. I want to give you this understanding of what one accord is because we're a little mixed up about it. This word, one accord in the Greek language, is the word homothumadon. Say it. Homo thumado. Say it again. Homo thumadon. You use the etymology of the word. By using the etymology, you just break the word in two. You get a prefix and you get a suffix in the Greek language. The etymology, the first part, would be homo, and that means same. Thumadon, is a very unusual word that would be for one accord. Why doesn't it just? Why isn't it something like, um, uh, something like together. Like in the Greek, whenever you see that, that prefix "soon," it always means together. It would seem like togetherness would be one accord, wouldn't it? But that is not the description in Greek at all. It means one accord, but that is not the use of the word. In the Greek language, when we see homo thumadon, we see same, homo, and then we see thumadon, which is taken from the Greek word, the Greek word themos, where we have heard the the English word from themos is thermal. Something that's boiling hot. And this word, actually, homothomadone, is used two ways in the Greek language and classical Greek. It's usually used when someone, now let me just tell you, when someone, for God forbid, was intoxicated and they got violent. The only way I can explain it is, way back when you were a child, if you ever read Huckleberry Finn, when you were a child in school, they made you read it. And you remember Pappy, he used to get drunk and beat Huckleberry Finn, remember? Okay, that kind of beating, violence, in a negative sense, in a heated anger, is the opposite, but it's the same word that is used in the Greek, homotomadon. Now, what it is in the positive, homothematon, means when you get two people together three people together the same love that means it's it's very very intense you get the same people with the same vision it's very very intense that means there's almost like a violent like agreement there's like a yes we're going to do this there's like a yes nothing's going to stop us there's like a yes we can do this thing together are you with me if you are say amen yeah. One accord does not mean, yeah, I think we can. Praise the Lord. Homo says, yeah, what time? Homo says, middle of the night, you want prayer? I'm there. Just, just get in one accord and get this thing going. Hello, somebody. Someone who's not in one accord? Someone who's double-minded? Ooh. I'm going to mess up the whole anointing. You got to think about it. You're not in one accord. You got to pray about it. Don't you know from the inner man? Aren't you walking in the anointing? Don't you know, hallelujah, what God's will is? Are you now at the place? You have to even ask God, go into God's will. Should I pray? Excuse me. Where are you from? I'm just going to take you into my generation because that's why I'm here. Hello, somebody. Somebody ought to give God the glory. I can't play church with this generation. Hello, somebody. I'm just going to give all what I know to you so you can go out and be the people God has anointed you to be, which I I know you are. I know you are. I know you are. I know you are. Homo tumodon, one accord, literally means the same passion. The same passion. So that means you got somebody on your team, somebody you're praying with that doesn't have the same passion as you. There's nothing wrong with that. Praise God. We love you dearly. God bless you, sweetie. Wonderful to know you. And I'll surely pray for you. You pray for me. But you can't come into the room to birth the revival if you don't have the same passion. Hello, somebody, because you could block up the whole anointing. Are you with me? If you're going to go into the realm of praying in the presence of God, these 120, not all the disciples went to the upper room. Jesus didn't allow the Holy Ghost selected 120 that were going to be in one accord with the same passion. He could have called all the disciples that followed Jesus, but they all didn't. They all were not in one accord. They all didn't have the same passion. But you see, those who watched Jesus go back into heaven all had the same passion. They were desperate. They wanted his presence and they weren't going to stop until his presence came down. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Homothumadon means boiling ardor. It means boiling with the power of God. It means boiling in the same spirit. This is exactly what happened on Bonnie Bray Street. When the man of God, William Joseph Seymour, oh, he was desperate. It's very dangerous when you find a desperate Christian. I'm not talking about desperate that you don't have help. I mean, when you, can't fi- when you find a Christian that's so desperate for God, they'll do anything. I mean a Christian that says, I'm so desperate for God, I'll go wherever God wants. I'll do whatever God says. This is how you know revival is really happening. When people begin to go long distances and don't even think about it, all they think about is, I got to get that touch. I got to get that anointing. I got to get that power in my life. Are you with me? And so, beloved saints, we are seeing as we continue in the context, this secret of revival, this desperate need that must precede revival. And so we saw one accord. These all continued in one accord in homo and prayer and supplication this word supplication in the greek is also another word that is very much to be observed because it doesn't just mean praying hard it is much different it means beloved saints this word supplication is a word that is spoken of here in the Greek language that actually means dear people of God it is the word desis and it is so taken from the Greek word deomai and it means to actually be specific in a certain area but it's also taken in the prefix from the word d because it's the word desis in Greek so the preset the prefix is d, and d is a word that that means urgency. D is a word that means to lack in some area. This word is a word that means to be in need or to be in lack. Now, I want you to understand you're not in need or lack from the lack of food or in need or lack from the lack of finances. But there must be a condition in the heart of the believer. If you really want revival, an attribute of revival means that something in your soul is I'm not going to stop because I'm not complete without the presence of God. I feel so desperate. I've got to have him. I'm lacking. I need that power. I need that anointing. I will do anything for it. Are you with me? If you are, say amen. God told William Joseph Seymour, He had prayed five days, uh, five hours every single day when he came to Los Angeles. And God said he didn't get the baptism yet. God said, pray seven hours a day. In Bonnie Bray, every day he was praying seven hours a day. People were coming, but that was the lifestyle of Bishop Seymour. As soon as Bishop Seymour laid down his prayer life for the seven hours a day, Azusa stopped. I, 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 hmm. I'm preaching the word to you today <laughs> about people say, oh, it was division. Oh, it was the stealing of the mailing list. Oh, really? Is that what stopped the mighty, mightiest move of God that changed the whole century? Somebody stole the mailing list. Are you kidding me? They didn't need no mailing list. They had people coming long before there was ever any mailing list. The whole city of Los Angeles saw the Azusa Street Mission on fire, and the fire department came. They didn't need no mailing list. Are you hearing me? Where'd they get that nonsense? Some little precious author put that together and said, "Well, they stole their mailing list." So that's what broke up the Azusa Street Revival. Some crazy lady that had the wrong intentions and was kind of missing a few links and was very angry because Bishop Seymour was married to Jenny Moore, so she just just stole the mailing list and stopped the whole revival. Wait a minute, hold it. You mean to tell me? Now let me tell you. The tongues that were prayed... The tongues that were prayed in the Azusa Street Mission. I'll give you a story. A little boy, 12 years old, got baptized in the Spirit. The secret of Azusa was that William Joseph Seymour didn't want and felt very led that never, it should only be the Holy Ghost. And so he led led it because it was his burden. But he never, ever, ever took charge of it. He only led it. He organized it in the sense that he wouldn't allow false, false doctrine in because he was a long time pioneer of the holiness movement. And the whole doctrine of the Azusa Street Revival was the baptism in the spirit that sanctifies one and sets one aside for the things of God's separation from the world. I know that's real hard to hear in this generation, but guess what? I really don't care that I got to preach the gospel to you. I got to tell it like it is. And, and so, beloved saints, uh, Bishop Seymour, who preached this so tremendously, and this, this uh, young man who was 12 years old, who received baptism in the Spirit. He was praising God in the Azusa Mission. This was just an old, beat-up barn. It was at one time an AME church, but then it got converted into a stable. And when Bishop Seymour rented it, they had to fix everything. And we see that this little guy had his hands raised, praying in tongues, and he was praying, a man from the Mayan tribe of Indians came in. And this Mayan Indian came in to see, because people were coming from everywhere. That's why I say, don't talk to me about this mailing list. They were coming from everywhere, because something was happening in Los Angeles that was drawing them in. And a man who was a Mayan Indian, never heard the gospel. When this little boy had his hands raised, praising God, he was preaching to the man and he didn't know it. He was just raising his hands toward heaven, but the words were coming out in the Mayan language. And the Lord was prophesying a message to the Indian man, give your life to me, knowing his name and knowing his village and telling him his background. And that Indian man ran to the altar. Hello, somebody. I'm speaking to somebody here. Then we do the documentation from Dr. Signin, and we do the documentation from Dr. Wilkerson, and we find out that this is not the only case at all, that most of the people, when they got baptized in the Holy Ghost in Azusa, actually began to speak with languages, and people from the outside, like Russian and Chinese, came in, Japanese, many Japanese people were hearing them raising their hands. they were actually, through magnifying God, heard the message of the gospel proclaimed through the people, hallelujah, as they were speaking in tongues. I know this to be a fact. I know this to be a fact, not only from the reputable references that come, but I know from our own experience when we went to China, This was not an isolated event. These are things that should not be isolated and just look back on awe. We should understand that this should be an everyday occurrence, 24 hours a day in the church with every believer. Are you with me? The Shakarian family that came from Armenia. Demas Shikarian, one of the greatest men of God that ever lived, came from a long Pentecostal heritage from Armenia. His parents were living in the time right before the Armenian genocide. And there was a prophet, two prophets. One was a child and one was an adult that prophesied to the Armenian people that were Pentecostal community saying that that the armenian genocide was coming and that they needed to pack up their bags and move to america and that god it was a long prophecy and that god would bless every armenian that came from armenia with businesses and would give them strong careers and that god would bless their their businesses exceedingly if they moved to america they would be spared from the armenian genocide The Armenians, you see, and early Pentecostals learned how to obey the Holy Ghost. They followed the Holy Ghost. They didn't have to sit back and wonder, is this God or not? We were raised that whenever you tell a prophecy, you don't say so-and-so prophesied, you say the Holy Ghost said. We were trained to follow those prophecies more than you follow your life. Hello, somebody, are you with me? They came here, they became blessed. Some people now that are of the Armenian background of those folks, you trace them back, they're some of the wealthiest people in America. And they go back to that prophecy. But the Shakarian family, Papa Shakarian, came out here, Demas founded the full gospel businessman, his son, And they became extremely well-to-do. And some of the Armenians came into Azusa when they moved, in the initial move to America. And Azusa was filled with those who had the Russian dialect from their village and those who also spoke the Armenian. There were uh, facts of Japanese and in In uh, Charles Fox Parham's uh, Kansas City, when he began in Topeka, his Bible college, the first person in America that spoke with tongues was Agnes Osman. And let me just tell you, in those days, when you got touched by God, you'd be out for three days. You'd be so under the anointing, you could barely function in natural life for three days. I know this for a fact. When I was preaching in 1977, there was a lady there. Her name was Dolores Solomon. We're getting ready to close. Don't worry. We're going to close in three minutes. Dolores Solomon, a little lady you just kind of pass by. You say, it's just Dolores Solomon. She had looked like the typical woman, just kind of short hair, She had a problem with her hands. They always sweat. She didn't want to lay hands on me because she was embarrassed. But I so respected her because they were a very distinguished family among the Christians, not among the world, among the Christians. Not among the world, among the Christians. Her husband was involved with the full gospel businessmen, and I just revered them so much because, wow, this is a family that served God for such a long time. Very, very devoted people to God. She can lay hands on me anytime. She was embarrassed to do so because her hands were sweating. And she put her hands on me and they were shaken. And she said, I got to tell you something. You're going to start a ministry. And she said, It's going to be glorious. She prophesied the whole entire Breath of the Spirit. A little lady in a prayer meeting. I was preaching my first preaching event, February 20th, 1977. I hadn't started Breath of the Spirit yet. I started it in 78. But I had preached before I started the ministry. That woman, I tried to get out of the feeling I had. The next day I was so drunk. For three days I was under the anointing from that prophecy. Agnes Osmond, the first woman in America to speak in tongues, three days. She spoke Chinese and could not speak English. See, we have this movement, but much of what we have is just a replica. We're living on a replica. We're living on what we saw, and some of it we're imitating. But the real is about to come. Not saying that it's not authentic. I'm not saying that it's not authentic. Please don't misquote me. But you're living on old oil. You're living on oil that, that already was. God wants us to. Come to the place. No, I didn't get a chance to share the third one. I'm not going to. These two supernatural attributes of revival. Absence that produces agony. And a desperate need that will precede revival. Because that word supplication, translated to desis, With the prefix prefix, D, meaning urgent, desperate, lacking,
0: longing, desiring. Thank you for joining us today on Day of Destiny. We invite you to our website at mydayofdestiny.com, where you can easily access other podcasts and obtain your copy of Dr. Corral's latest book, secrets of the anointing. Also, we want to take this moment to invite you to engage in extending your hand of kindness by planting your seed or offering for multitudes that include orphans, providing water wells, providing medical supplies, clinics, feeding programs, and many other services to the suffering church and through efforts of evangelism worldwide. Just go to our website and click the donate button or text to give. Text HESED CH E S E D two seven seven nine seven. That's Hesed. C H E S E D two seven seven nine seven. You are also invited to visit Dr. Michelle Corral Facebook or Instagram. We look forward to having you encounter the anointing with us on our next Day of Destiny podcast.